Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast, Investigations in a New Era. I'm Jim McGrew. I'm excited to have with me today Monique Gaucher-Doucette and Andre Caldwell to talk about this very hot and important topic. Monique and Andre are the co-chairs of our Workplace Investigations and Organizational Assessments Practice Group, and we're going to talk to Monique and Andre today about what they're seeing in today's environment and how employers can and need to be prepared. Let's set the stage. You know, we've seen some very significant social justice movements in recent years, and there have been numerous high-profile and high-stakes investigations in the news. Most recently, perhaps, the Andrew Cuomo investigation in New York, as well as additional major companies being hit with widespread allegations of discrimination, misconduct, and or harassment. And not only are these investigations problematic from a legal perspective, but they can also result in a PR nightmare for the company. And they can also be pretty complex compared to your more run-of-the-mill workplace investigations. So let's talk to Monique and Andre. Monique's in New Orleans and Andre's in Oklahoma City. Let's talk to Monique and Andre a little bit about what we're seeing, what's changed in this space, and what are they seeing in terms of new types of claims and investigations. Monique, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jim? Doing great. So tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there and why it's important. Sure, Jim. I think the biggest change is that employees are looking at their workplaces from a completely different perspective. And I think that's largely because the world has become a very different place over the last few years. So if you just take a second and think about all of the cultural and significant political events that we've seen happen just over the last five years, right? And think about the fact that a lot of that has happened against the backdrop of a global pandemic. Everything is so different. And employees are, in my view, asking some very different questions about why the way things are the way they are at their workplaces. And what Andre and I are are seeing is that those different kinds of questions and those different perspectives are yielding more complaints of systemic discrimination, pattern practice discrimination, concerns about institutional inequity, unconscious bias. So very complicated and, and nuanced complaints, if you will. We're also seeing a lot of reverse discrimination claims. And, and frankly, I hate that term, reverse discrimination, but it's essentially claims by employees who feel that they've been unfairly singled out or targeted by the recent cultural movements, that they feel that they're on the opposite end of these movements as white people or as white men or people who are getting the brunt of the impact of of the movement right now. And and so essentially what we're seeing is just this huge uptick in what I call cultural impact complaints. Monique, I'm going to ask you, why do you hate the term reverse discrimination? That's a good question because discrimination is discrimination, 
And when I receive a complaint uh, using the term reverse race discrimination, to me, it conveys the message that discrimination is actually, you know, reserved for a certain group of people. And uh, that's just not the case. We're all protected classes and discrimination, it, it is what it is. It's not reserved for a particular group. So how do these new types of claims, these systemic pattern and practice allegations typically arise in today's workplace? How are you seeing these things occur? Andre, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, Jim. And thank you for having us here today. We're seeing it in a variety of ways, right? We're still getting complaints that come in through the hotlines and complaints that come in through your HR personnel or through your managers. But we're starting to see different uses of words. You know, like Monique mentioned, there's been a lot of cultural movements in the past and and we're seeing that really play out in the workplace. I say this a lot. The workplace is a microcosm of society. So anything you see happening outside of your windows is going to find its way into your workplace in short order between political campaigns, between uh, vaccination policies, between Black Lives Matter movements and things of that nature. We're going to get complaints about that coming in. The ones that get really tricky, Jim, are when they come in from an anonymous letter. And oftentimes we've seen clients and companies who say, hey, well, we can't really investigate this matter. We can't really look into it. We don't really have a lead. You can't ignore complaints. And we've been preaching this since day one, anonymous or not, you can't ignore a complaint. You've got to look into it. There are tools available. There are methods by which you can approach it. But the reality is you have to do it because if not, you're leaving a problem that could fester down the road and create bigger impact. You know, Andre, I was talking to Monique once about this phenomenon, and I know she was saying that, you know, sometimes what used to appear to be a simple single complainant situation, once you start looking into it, turns into a big matter, a systemic type allegation. Monique, can you talk a little bit about that so that employers are aware of what they need to be on the lookout for? Absolutely, Jim. And Andre and I, we see this often with investigations where you're investigating what on the surface and initially looked to be just an individual allegation, right? A single, single complaint, single occurrence lodged by a single complainant. And once we start drilling down, and when I say we, I'm, I'm speaking generally, whether it's outside counsel or if the investigation is, is done by an internal HR person, But a lot of times when you drill down, sometimes employers will find that the issue is actually a bigger issue than they initially thought. Sometimes I'm investigating a single sexual harassment allegation and I start talking to witnesses. And sometimes people will say, this kind of thing has been happening in that department for years and no one's ever done anything about it. And we realize, okay, well, maybe that's true, but it's gone unreported. Or, or we're looking into what initially appeared to be a single complaint about alleged discrimination, race-based or what have you. And you start talking to people and people say, this is a problem that's been going on at this company for a long time, but nobody wants to talk about it because there's no point and what's the use. And that's typically the springboard when, as an investigator, you have to have a very frank conversation with the client and say, hey, there may be some smoke here, right? There, there may be some smoke and it may be best for us to look into this smoke and see if there really is a fire and snuff it out. But it's probably best not to let the situation go unaddressed. 
And Jim, and I'll add on to the backside of that. I agree with Monique because we have seen a pattern of people not reporting things, but now in the age of social media and the fact that just your your average media is picking up these stories and, and blowing them up and making them more available to the greater public, when you get that one person who is brave enough to make the complaint and sort of rip the Band-Aid off, you see what's really beneath the surface. That's when other people are willing to come forward because they feel comfortable that the process has started. I can't tell you how many times Monique and I have been involved in investigations where people have said, well, there's no reason or no one would believe me. But now people are putting cell phones in their pockets from recording these conversations and waiting for their opportunity to expose these systemic issues, these pattern and practice issues, which goes to show why you can't just look at a single complaint that comes in and ignore it and say there, there's nothing there or there's no support for it. You got to really address the issue head on and promptly. This is really probably an obvious question based on what you've what you talked about already, but obviously the stakes are quite a bit higher here. Can you talk a little bit about what are the ramifications of of one of these types of claims if they go sort of unresolved? Yeah, the the stakes are extremely high, and and for several reasons. And and just to segue and and piggyback a little bit on what Andre was just saying, and to put this in proper perspective, we really have to consider just the transformative impact of social media, right? It's not only affected how widely and and quickly people learn about an organization's cultural issues, but what a lot of people don't think about is how social media has impacted employees' expectations on how quickly their complaints have to be addressed. In the last several years, I'm seeing just this real undercurrent of the instant gratification mentality applied here with demands for accountability and for whatever they've got on their mind, it needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed like yesterday. We have employees, they're just not showing the same level of interest that we would see by 10 years ago where people would pick up the phone and call a lawyer or pick up the phone and call the EEOC. People don't have that level of patience anymore. They want immediate accountability to address these cultural impact issues. And so in terms of ramifications, what I'm seeing is, you know, firsthand, we've all seen, you know, the public relations nightmares, right? That result when a company has failed to immediately address complaints about harassment or pattern practice discrimination. So not only do you have the problem, but the problem is amplified by the allegation that the company's known about this issue for however long and they just sat on it and they really didn't care before. So that makes it even worse. On top of that, I think employers really need to consider the significant impact on morale, right? When there's even just the perception that the company has failed to address an issue or, or failed to properly look at a complaint over an extended amount of time. So, you know, just think about how that actually impacts how employees look at the organization where they work. It may not even be true, but they believe that there's been a long standing history of issues coming up and those issues not being addressed immediately. And think about how that actually affects how employees trust the process right? How they trust the complaint handling procedure. So when you talk about ramifications, it's not just the PR ramifications, it's the internal ramifications as well. How it affects your process, how it affects your, your morale, how it affects the trust in your process. 
if you want to add another piece of that, think about the money piece. Companies are operating to make money, right? Companies want to be connected to their community. If there's a headline showing that you are not connected to your community, we have a little thing that is also an unpopular phrase called cancel culture. And it will happen very quickly when you're getting blasted across the news for making a diversity statement, but overlooking a race discrimination claim or a gender discrimination claim. You have to be aware of these things and how they play out because they do have significant impacts, both as Monique said, internally and externally. What should an employer do? And they have an inkling that they've got something like this brewing. And, and how, if at all, is it different than sort of routine or more routine workplace investigations? You know, Jim, again, I think it comes back to top jumping on top of a complaint promptly. That is so important that when you get it in, you start assessing it, you start triaging it, you start putting a plan in place to address the complaint. And, you know, one of the things that Monique and I have have constantly mentioned in this wave of new complaints that are arising are gone are the days of we'll get around to it. We're overworked. We don't have the ability or the manpower right now. And gone are the days of, hey, you're next up in the queue. You go take this complaint. You got to look at this from several areas, dynamics, angles, aspects, including who's going to be your investigator. You know, we've had complaints come in where witnesses and complainants rather are willing to participate, but they want an investigator that looks like them, right? Think about systemic and pattern and practice discrimination. Those are nuanced areas. You can't just throw anyone in there who doesn't have the expertise and the understanding of these types of claims to investigate it because they're going to be missing very important things. So as I use the analogy, if you will, the tools are still the same in the toolbox. It's a matter of how you apply the tools to the problem so that you can come to the prompt resolution. What are the key steps that as investigators you take to look into and hopefully either resolve the issues or perhaps even prepare for litigation? I was just going to say, in my experience, just drawing on what what Andre just said, applying the necessary amount of nuance when looking at, at these types of complaints. But also, one of the most important steps in the investigative process, and I've, I've said this again and again, is, is communicating the results of the investigation to the complainant. For whatever reason, it's a step that often gets lost in the process. I mean, even if you have the most well-intentioned employer and they have, they've done everything right so far, right? They, they jumped on the complaint. They, they used the proper investigator. They did everything right. But at the very end, for some reason, you know, they've come to a conclusion. They've, they've got their findings. They've decided on an action plan, but nobody bothers to tell the complainant. And it's such a huge misstep because it, having that conversation. And and again, you have to be very careful about how the communication goes and, and how you communicate your findings, right? But it at least allows the person who initiated the complaint to feel seen and to feel important enough to be an informed part of the process. Even if the results of the investigation are not what they may want them to be, I believe that that communication, quite frankly, oftentimes stops the employee from pursuing litigation. Monique, what about the scenario, though, where you're talking about going back and talking to the complainant about the results? What about the scenario that we're dealing with here is where you start with perhaps a single complainant, and then you realize as you talk to more people that there are a lot of people. There is sort of at least a systemic perception of a problem. How do you get that message back to everyone? That's a difficult one. And it 
really is, I think, a step-by-step process. And this is the part where there has to be a strong level of of discernment applied to the process. You don't want to be in the position where Andre and I, we call it scope creep, right? Where Where you allow the scope of your investigation to just you know, become larger than life and you're going down all these rabbit holes and you're having all of these conversations with different types of people and, and people were talking about different types of types of issues, you really have to walk that balance in terms of having the right conversations that cover just the right amount of scope with the right people. And it's a very delicate process. It's very nuanced, it's it's complicated, and we don't pretend that it's not by any stretch. And, and frankly, that's one of the reasons why a lot of times we see our clients uh, looking at these situations and saying, look, we're tapping out. We wanna get some experts in, we wanna retain outside counsel, because frankly, it's not for our HR people. This goes beyond the expertise of our internal HR, and frankly, our internal HR doesn't have the bandwidth for this. You know, Jim, and I'll add on the back end of that, that the original complainant who raised it, who triggered this thing, should certainly uh, have the results communicated to them. And, and don't believe for a second they're not going to trickle that information down to other people within the workplace, right? So some of that may take care of itself. But one thing we always advise clients, even if a claim is unsubstantiated, still go back and do an assessment on the company. Do an assessment on your policies and your practices. You know, we use the phrase that actions speak louder than words. Your employees will be seeing the actions being taken behind the scenes. We'll see the remedial efforts or mitigatory, that's my new word I'm going to use, efforts made on on the part of the company to really show a commitment to receiving this information and doing something with it as opposed to turning the head and ignoring it, doing the ostrich in the sand. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to get that messaging across, even if it's not direct one-on-one communication with every person who decided to participate in the process. Let's talk about organizational assessments for a few minutes. What is an organizational assessment and why are they important in this context? We touched on this for a few minutes earlier, Jim, just about those situations where sometimes we'll conduct an investigation and and that investigation will determine that a single complaint actually stems from something bigger. So like I said earlier, maybe there are a lot more incidents of alleged sexual harassment than the employer initially thought. For some reason, those incidents just went unreported. Maybe there have been rumblings about problematic practices in a particular department for years, but those particular department employees just felt there was no point in escalating their concerns. So what an organizational assessment does is after you've made that determination by way of the investigation, you move on and we provide an in-depth examination of the hard text of, of the company's policies. And we also look at the effectiveness of their workplace practices. And by way of that examination, uh, we make a determination about what kind of tangible impact the policies and the practices have on the company's culture, right? So it's essentially an examination as to how the policies and the practices at your organization, along with your HR functions, how are they lived out in earnest at your workplace? And so we do that by way of really customizing the use of surveys, Sometimes we do focus groups or focus group discussions. We do hard policy reviews. We do one-on-one interview meetings. It's a very customized process, but the whole idea is to basically scratch beyond the surface, figure out what's going on, 
So my example earlier where, you know, that you've had several instances of alleged sexual harassment, but for some reason, those incidents just went unreported. Is there a disconnect with your complaint handling procedure, right? Is there something going on in the actual text of your complaint handling process where um, perhaps the rule says, your, your policy says something to the effect of, okay, well, you have to escalate any kind of harassment concerns to your direct supervisor. And if it doesn't work with your direct supervisor, then you go to the CEO of the company. I mean, it's just kind of a wide jump like that where people are like, well, I mean, I'm not going to take my concern to my immediate supervisor because my immediate supervisor is the source of my concern, right? I'm not going to go to the vice president of the company as, as my next line of defense because I don't even know who the vice president of the company is. I've had several situations where I've looked at a policy and the policy has this like really ambitious chain Right. Where it's like, you know, take your concerns to the vice president of the company, the CHRO or, or the CEO and some guy who's a materials handler. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I wouldn't even know where to find the number to the CHRO or the CHRO. I don't even know who that person is. So is there a disconnect in terms of the actual hard text of your policies? Is there a disconnect in terms of how the, the, the complaint handling is, is played out? I mean, those things are really important, but we're not going to really determine that just by way of a single investigation sometimes. And so the organizational assessment allows us to take a deeper look. Like Andre said, we peel off the Band-Aid, but we do it in a way that's that's customized and it's tailored for what the employer and what the client needs. And sometimes that's frankly just having a whole lot of conversations and talking to people. So Andre, what do you say to an employer who might say, gosh, doing all that Am I kind of asking for potential trouble? Yeah, my response to that is, uh, are you asking for trouble if you don't do it? You got to look at it from the opposite perspective. The reality is, as Monique said, these these can come up in a number of circumstances that aren't actually formal complaints per se, but will give you this understanding there's something bubbling underneath the surface and needs to be looked at. So I think you're asking for trouble if you don't examine these issues. Um, let's say you get a number of complaints that are formal complaints that get investigated, but they're all of the same trend and they're all in the same department and they're individual people. And that's sort of this uptick that's come out of nowhere. This this is a problem. It's a signal. You know, if the flag's out, you can't ignore it. Right. So um, I think you're asking for trouble if you don't take that proactive step. It doesn't have to be extremely expensive. It doesn't have to exhaust a lot of time. But it is something that will go a long way, and it's a, a great value proposition. Thanks, Monique and Andre. And before we wrap up, can you tell the audience, what are your top three takeaways for employers in these important areas? Yeah, I can give you a, a couple, and, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll give you two, and then Andre can jump in with, with the third one and, and round it out. My top takeaway is really just summing up everything we've been talking about. That top takeaway is just paying really close attention to the scope and nuance um, of, of your internal complaint. Look for trigger words. That's a whole different conversation. But right now, some of the common ones that I'm seeing are, you know, trigger words like good old boy culture, rampant harassment issues, anything that suggests that the problem is bigger than the complainant and, and the complainant's issues. Look for 
words or statements to that effect and make sure you pay attention to any kind of indicator that this problem is bigger than the complainant, just the complainant and what the complainant is saying as it relates to their individual situation. And then my next takeaway is after you pay attention to that level of complexity and nuance, conduct your investigation accordingly and and attentively, right? Keeping in mind all of the potential audiences, and, and that's probably, I think, the second biggest important takeaway. I find that sometimes when people don't appreciate the gravity of a complaint or a situation, they kind of go through the motions with the investigation, assuming that the only audience for the investigation is going to be some internal leadership, right? So they're basically, they're, they're checking the box. They're going to send this off to the VP of HR or whoever their, their supervisor is. And that is the intended audience. And that's a huge problem, right? Not taking into consideration that your audience may actually be uh, much bigger than just internal leadership, even going beyond, you know, your CEO or your board. But you may want to also consider your secondary audience, right? Is this investigation going to be put before the prying eyes of a judge or a governmental agency or a jury? So consider your primary audience, of course, but also consider your secondary audience. And I think those are two of the most important takeaways, you know, appreciating the complexity and then working accordingly. I enjoy working with Monique because she makes my job easy for me. So I get to do one more. I wholeheartedly echo those two takeaways. And I'll add this. You got to get out of the mindset that this is routine. Again, gone are the days of, hey, next up in line or, oh, we'll get around to it when we get around to it. This is not routine and it can be devastating if it's not handled accordingly. And so, you know, we always mention planning and I always say this in every presentation I do. If you fail to plan, then you should plan to fail. So you got to look at that plan holistically. You got to think about your investigation team. You got to think about how you're documenting it, who your control group is, you know, what will be the aftermath of the investigation, communicating back to the complainant what sort of remedial measures, if any, will be taken, what sort of assessment measures, if any, will be taken with respect to your policies in your workplace. It's, it's just a, a, a whole new world, right? Unprecedented. Let's use that word one time before we get off the podcast. Those are definitely some takeaways that you should take into account. All right. Thank you, Andre. And I want to let you know that while you were talking, our researchers confirmed that the word mitigatory is in fact a word. Yes. So you're in the clear there. You can use it. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thanks. And thank you so much, Monique and Andre, for your time today. I hope our listeners learned some insightful information. And I want to tell everyone to please stay tuned because we're going to hold a more in-depth webinar on this topic on September 14 at 2 p.m. Eastern. So please visit our website to learn more and register or just shoot one of us a note. So this is Jim McGrew on behalf of Monique Gaucher-Doucette and Andre Caldwell, thanking you for your time. Until next time, so long. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.